the first of our readings this morning from Luke chapter 21, verses 1 to 4. He looked up and saw the rich dropping their offerings into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow dropping in two tiny coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For all these people have put in gifts out of their surplus. But she, out of her poverty, has put in all she had to live on. Genesis chapter 14, verses 18 to 20. Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest to God Most High. He blessed him and said, Abram is blessed by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has handed over your enemies to you. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And from Leviticus chapter 27, verses 30 to 32. Every tenth of the land's produce, grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. If a man decides to redeem any part of this tenth, he must add a fifth to its value. Every tenth animal from the herd or flock, which passes under the shepherd's rod, will be holy to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. So today we're going to start, a, I guess, a short mini-series on giving and supporting uh, the church financially. As you know, we're going to be talking about the church's financial situation after, uh, after our service. And in many ways, the picture is kind of a little bit grim. However, I, I wanted to start by just stressing that our church council, the leadership of the church, uh, we see our current situation as a distraction and not a crisis. So, this, you know, the Lord has given us as a congregation this vision for reaching the lost with the gospel, and we've been praying for people that are to come to know Jesus, and, and a number of people have started exploring the faith through Wonga Park. I actually had coffee with one just on, uh, on Wednesday night, and I said to him, today's probably not the day to come to church. Um, but, uh, so people have been reaching out to us, and... And, you know, our prayers are being answered by the Lord and, and we are pursuing this vision that he's given us. And I, and I really see the financial gap we have as a, as a temptation brought to us by Satan as a congregation. And it's a temptation to lose our focus on the discipleship work that God has called us uh, and called all churches, in fact, to do. And to start instead focusing on the, on the budget deficit. And the real temptation, I think, for us would be that we start, uh, you know, organising events and things so with the, with the uh, aim of raising funds to help the church at the cost of our discipleship efforts. I think that would be a temptation that we can be, fall into. And so as a, uh, you know, as, if, if our aim becomes dealing with the money, then we've lost the point of being the church. And so, uh, so we really need to keep our focus on commanding, uh, on Jesus' command to disciple the nations. And so to help us think through this situation, we're going to be preaching on uh, giving both financially but also with time and talents over the next uh, three weeks as well. So we, one of our 
head, heart, hands slot is going to be focused on sort of generous living, I guess. And today is the first of those. And today is a head sermon. So we're going to be looking at the biblical basis for um, giving financially. And so today we're going to be looking at three things. First of all, the law of giving. Secondly, the heart of giving. And thirdly, the sacrifice of giving. And I'm going to actually do these in the exact opposite way in which we just read them. So let's first then look at the law of giving, which we find in Leviticus 27, where Moses is writing to the Israelites. They are camped at the base of of Mount Horeb. God is meeting with Moses and Moses gives people the law. And he says that a tenth of the land's produce, grain from the soil, fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord, for it is holy to the Lord. Now, Leviticus is the book in the Bible you go to if you have trouble sleeping. Uh, it is a sleep-inducing book of laws and rules that is set out, uh, you know, setting out the sacrificial system, the law system, the theocracy that was supposed to rule Israel as a nation. And so where we are in the story of, of the Bible is that um, uh, God has saved Israel out of Egypt. Uh, Israel is in the process of being birthed as a nation. And so they're in the process of learning what it means to be God's set-apart people. And so where we find them at this passage is they are camped at the base of the mountain where God has been meeting with Moses. So God had been laying out the plans for how the Israelites are supposed to worship him through the tabernacle, uh, which later gets uh, taken up in, in the temple system. And during this time, God gives each of, um, you know, he's given Israel the promised land. And he gives each of the 12 tribes of Israel a part of the land of Canaan, a section of the country, to call their own. But actually, it's not all 12 of the tribes. It's only 11 of the tribes that get a section because the Levites, the tribe of Levites, do not get any land. They are the priests. So they don't get to have land on which to plant crops and work the land and graze their livestock. They are set aside to do God's kind of religious work. They are to make the sacrifices. They've got to serve at the tabernacle or the temple. Uh, They are the worshippers, so they are professional musicians and singers that uh, help the congregation of God's people, praise him and so on. And so that's what they're supposed to do. Now, how are they supposed to be sustained then? If they have no land, they have no source of income, how are the Levites going to uh, exist? Where does their food and their shelter and their clothing come from? Where do they get their income from? Well, the passage in Leviticus 27 sets out the basis for how God was going to look uh, after his set-apart servants. And he introduces this principle of tithing. Now, tithing is a word that nowadays is exclusively uh, religious, but it really is not a word that we ever define. And so tithing is simply to give a tenth of whatever you have. Uh, To give a tenth is to tithe. The words sound the same because they have the same sort of root word. Now, in the days of Israel, tithing was expressly commanded. The Israelites were commanded by God to give a tenth of their of their grain, of the produce of the land, of the flocks that they, uh, you know, that they raised up, and so on. God says that a tenth of it is holy to the Lord. That is, it is to be set aside for God. And the purpose for this tenth was to be to go to support the religious work of God's uh, chosen people. So God's 
set aside servants were entirely dependent on the set aside sum that the people were supposed to set aside. That's what holy means. It means to be set aside. And in fact, later on in Israel, uh, when Israel as a nation had gone completely wrong, uh, Israel as a people were not diligently supplying for the needs of the Levites. They weren't bringing their tithes. And you see this in Nehemiah and Ezra. Uh, And so what the Levites were forced to do is to abandon the temple and they were forced to go back in the fields to work so that they could eat. Now consider how devastating that would have been for Israel as a nation. You see, they, they were entirely dependent on the sacrificial system of the temple uh, that God had provided in order to cleanse them from their sin. Of course, the sacrifices all pointed to Jesus' ultimate sacrifice on the cross, but without priests to do the sacrifices, without a temple uh, or a tabernacle, the Israelites' were, capacity to worship God was completely cut off. And so to prevent this from happening, to set aside his servants, to free them to do the work that he called them to do, he actually, God commands the Israelites to support them with a tenth of all they had produced. Now notice what our text actually says here. It says the tenth, this tenth, this tithe, belongs to the Lord for it is holy to the Lord. I think we need to think about this for a moment. You see, when we bring our offerings to support the work of the church, when we give the proverbial tenth, do we actually consider that to be a holy offering? Or is it just part of our money that we bring? You know, to be holy is to, set, is to be set apart for God. So when we give, the principle here is that what we give is, is a conscious choice to set this aside. I'm setting aside this amount of money, whether it's a tenth or not. I'm setting this aside for the work of the Lord. And when we do that, we're dedicating, we're kind of consecrating our offering to God. We're saying that this bit that I'm giving is purposely designated for Jesus, for his purpose, for his glory. And when we do that, we recognize that God is the creator of everything, that he holds the ultimate ownership of everything. And when we set aside our our tithe, we are agreeing with the psalmist in Psalm 24 verse 1 where he says, the earth and everything in it, the world and all its inhabitants belong to the Lord. God is the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Now, we don't have a temple where we come and offer sacrifices ritualistically to cleanse us from our sins. No. We have a church which is responsible and is part of sharing God's word to us, proclaiming the gospel to the world, enabling, equipping, training us as disciples to spread the good news to those that Jesus has brought us into contact with. So that they too might actually come to know Jesus as the ultimate sacrifice which saves us. And so we don't have the temple, we have the church. And as much as the temple was reliant on the Israelites giving, so too the church is actually reliant on the congregation today. But the principle in both Israel and today is the same. The set-aside people of God, the holy people of God, sets aside some of what God gives them to support the set-aside work of God and his servants. So the set-aside people of God 
set aside some of what God gives them to support the work of the set-aside servants of God. Now we must be careful here though, friends. The Israelites were commanded to bring their tenth, their tithe. It was part of the Mosaic law. It was part of the law which Moses gave the people as the mouthpiece of God. And so God said to Israel, you must bring your tenth. And even in Jesus' day, you see the Pharisees were still you know, tithing a tenth of their cumin and a tenth of their grain, a tenth of everything they had. But we can't look at Israel and say, well, Israel was commanded to give a tenth and so we are commanded to give a tenth. That's not how it works. It's not that simple. So we need to look at the rest of Scripture to inform us better because the church today is not the people of Israel. So to do that, we need to first of all go to a period of time before Israel existed and then secondly to a period of time long after Moses gave this command. So let's go back. Let's go back in time to before this command of tithing came into being. So let's look at the heart of giving. So we saw the law of giving. Now let's go back several hundred years to before Moses gave the law, back to the time of Abram in Genesis 14. And so there we read, Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, for he was a priest to God Most High. And Melchizedek blessed Abram and said, Abram is blessed by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who, was, who handed over your enemies to you, and then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Now, this is a very important passage in Scripture, and it forms a lot of the theology of who Jesus ultimately is. And you can read all about that in the book of Hebrews. But the context is important. And so this story here is that Abram is in a very tricky situation. His nephew Lot had been living in Sodom. And so Lot had been captured, he'd been carried away, all his stuff was stolen with him, his, his family, his children, his servants, his livestock, they all get carried off by the people who had come to capture Lot. Now when Abram hears of Lot's situation, he gets his men together and he pursues Lot's captors and he actually rescues Lot, his family, his servants and all his stuff. And on the way back from the battle, which had this miraculous outcome that God had delivered Lot back into the hands of Abram, uh, and everything that belonged to him had been saved, he, on the way back he meets Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek is the king of Salem. This is later Jerusalem, it's the same place. But he was a priest of God, and Melchizedek, I think, is the only person in all of Scripture, at least in the Old Testament, that was both a priest and also a king. Melchizedek himself is a direct foreshadowing of Jesus himself. And if you read the book of Hebrews later, we read that Melchizedek is, uh, sorry, that Jesus is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now the word Melchizedek, uh, Melech is the word for king, Tzaddik is for righteousness, and Salem is like shalom, peace. And so this is the king of righteousness who rules over peace. It's a direct picture of who Jesus was. This priest-king very much presents, uh, represents Jesus. And so when Abram meets Melchizedek, they have this meal together, and Melchizedek blesses Abram, and in response, Abram gives him a tenth of everything he had. He gives, in Scripture, the first tithe in the Bible to the priest of God. 
And then we need to think about this a little bit carefully because did Melchizedek need this tithe? No, he was the king of Jerusalem. He was well provided for. So it is only out of the thankfulness that Abram felt to God that he gives this tenth of stuff away. This instance of tithing teaches us that out of our respect, out of our thankfulness, out of our gratitude for who God is and for what he's done for us, we should give back to him. Now this happened several hundred years before Moses instituted tithing as a legal requirement for the Israelites. And what this teaches us is that a heart of gratitude to God is a heart that actually wants to give to God. Giving interacts or intersects with our faith and our gratitude. The more gratitude we have for what God has done for us, the more we want to give back to him. And that makes sense, doesn't it? The more thankful I am to my wife for washing the clothes, the more likely I'm, I am to do the dishes at night. Right? That's how it works. But Jesus actually teaches us that the link between faithfulness and, and giving is, is circular. It's a self-reinforcing system, if you like. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6. Uh, this is from verse 19. This is Jesus speaking. Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now what is Jesus saying? He's saying that our wealth, our money on earth is temporary, so we should use it here on earth to invest in the kingdom, in, in storing up treasures in heaven. To paraphrase, he's saying use your money to invest in the kingdom. But listen to the reason he gives. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do you see Jesus' point? The heart follows the treasure. We often think of it the other way around. It's not so much that we should put our money where our mouths are, but rather that our money, uh, sorry, but rather that when you put in your money, your mouth will follow. Now that's a bad image. So let's put it in a different way. You give because you are thankful for what God has done in your life. And so because you give and are thankful to support the work, your heart starts loving the work that you're supporting. Your heart follows the treasure. And each and every one of us, I think, need to periodically pause and think about where we put our treasures. Let's take an extreme example. If 100% of our treasure on earth is spent on ourselves, you know, on our homes, on our holidays, on the things we enjoy doing, if 100% of our treasure is invested here, then our heart is going to follow. We are going to love ourselves, our homes and our holidays, the things we enjoy more than we will love God. Our heart will follow our treasure. But when we give our earthly treasures away, to store up heavenly treasures, when we give our money to support the work of the church, to missionaries, to the Lord's work in the community, overseas, our hearts will follow. And we will love that work more and be more invested in it and ultimately enjoy the treasure forever because it will be in heaven where it lives forever. The heart of giving is that the heart follows gratitude 
and the heart follows the treasure. So it's the circular system. We give because we're thankful, and because we give, we become more thankful. We give because we want to invest in heaven, and the more we invest in heaven, the more we want to give to invest in heaven. That's the heart of giving. So we saw the law of giving, that God instituted a law in Israel to support the work of his set-aside servants, and we recognize that we don't live under that law, but the same principle applies still. The set-aside people of God set aside some of their income to support the set-aside servants of God. That's still true. But we saw that that's not just a law that should be part of our heart. It's the heart of giving comes in response to thankfulness for what God has already done for us in Jesus. And so as we invest our treasures in kingdom work, our heart will love kingdom work more and more. But there is a third aspect here that we need to grapple with, and that is the sacrifice of giving. And I'll read this passage from Luke again just to refresh our minds. So Jesus looks up and he saw the rich dropping their offerings into the treasury. And he also saw a poor widow dropping in two tiny coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For all these people have put in gifts out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty has put in all she had to live on. So now we move to the New Testament and we come face to face with Jesus himself. And he teaches us that God considers the proportion of giving, or the sacrificial heart behind giving, much more than the actual amount. The principle is this. God cares about the heart, not the amount. You know, we saw both in the institution of the tithe and in Abram's case, one-tenth was set aside for God's use. But Luke 21 shows us that God cares more about the heart behind the giving than the actual money. So what's happening here is that uh, Jesus is busy teaching his disciples. He's in the temple courts. He sees the teachers of the law and they, and they, um, who took the tithes that the people brought into the temple. And he, just before this passage, he, he, uh, he really blasts them for how they're using the temple system to extort the poor people. And then he sees the rich people bringing in their gifts into the temple. Let's say they're making a million dollars a year, for argument's sake. They're bringing their treasure box into the temple and they drop a cool 100k. And this 100k is going to keep the temple running for another half a year, another six months or whatever. And then this poor widow comes in and she's only got 10 cents. And this is the last of her money. And she drops it in. And the human response, our response, the pragmatist in us says, wow, $100,000 for the kingdom of God. How wonderful. And practically that's true. It is going to support the work of the temple for another half a year. The 10 cents isn't even going to pay for the stick of chewing gum that one of the priests wants to eat. And yet, what does Jesus say? She has put in more than all the others. Why? Because she gave sacrificially. She gave all she had to live on in faith that God would look after her. Now, again, we need to be careful. Because I'm not saying that for us to be blessed by God, we need to give away all of what we earn to the church. Not at all. Uh, and if any preacher says that, you know for sure that you've joined a cult. So what then is Jesus saying here? He's saying that the sacrifice of that poor widow was much greater than the sacrifice of the rich. 
Because they could give their 100k and not even feel it. But percentage-wise, sacrificially, she gave so much more. Her sacrifice was greater. And so Jesus tells us clearly, true giving to God is not about the amount. It's about the heart behind the giving. And I think that causes us to pause and reflect for a moment. What does my heart say about my giving? Jesus' words here are haunting. He says, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. His words are haunting because they force us to think, are we using Jesus' eyes of how giving to God works? Or are we putting on our world, worldly view? How much, with Jesus' eyes, are we sacrificing? How much financially is not important? How much sacrificially is important? It's not about how much the giving is. It's about the size of the sacrifice. That's the big picture overview of how giving works in the Bible. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be exploring this a little bit further. But that gives us this overview. Now the big question is, so what? What do we do with this? I want to give you four really quick applications. Less than a minute each. Application number one, we should examine our motives in giving. Virtually every church has heard people say things like, I will give you this amount of money if the church will do that. Or if the church will change its way to run my way. Now, most of the time it's not said like that, but in essence what that comes down to is uh, I want the church my way and I'll support it as long as it does things my way. If that's our motive for giving, then we've missed the heart of gratitude. Do, do I want to give back to God because of what he's done for me in Jesus or do I want to give to his work, to God's work, so that it's actually my work, the work I want to do? What is my motive in giving? It's a question we have to ask. Secondly, examine, firstly examine our motives. Secondly, examine our attitudes. Is my giving simply because I believe it's the law, that I'm like an Israelite, that I have some burdensome duty or a, uh, that I have to follow, or is my giving a spiritual discipline, a joyful act to the Lord? To put it another way, is, is my giving to the church seen as a loss or an investment? Do I want to invest in earthly treasures or heavenly treasures? What's my motive? Question two. Question three. Does my giving lead me to trust that God will look after me more? Consider what the widow did here. She gave the last of all she had, trusting that God would provide for her. Now again, I'm not saying that that's what we're called to do. But when we give a sacrificial gift that actually costs us something, we are expressing our faith. We are saying, God, I know that you will look after me more. You will refresh me more than a holiday will. You will feed me better than this restaurant meal at a lavish place. You will shelter me more than a house made of bricks. You will keep me safe so much more than the money I have in the bank. It is an expression of our faith when we give sacrificially. And then the fourth thing we can do is to pray for a generous spirit. Now, as I said, we're going to be looking at joy and generosity in the next couple of weeks. But we do have to recognize that you and I actually can't do this without God's Holy Spirit genuinely changing us from the inside. 
We're not going to feel thankful for what Jesus did on the cross for us if we don't have the Holy Spirit stirring in our soul. We're not going to want to live sacrificially for the gospel unless the Holy Spirit convinces us that the gospel is something that needs to be invested in. And our hearts are not going to follow our treasures invested in the kingdom unless the Holy Spirit moves us to invest our treasures in the kingdom. And so we need to pray that the Holy Spirit will give us a generous heart, that our heart will be shaped after God's own heart, who did not consider the cost of his very own son a too high a price to pay to reconcile ourselves to him. We need a heart that is shaped after Jesus' heart, who did not consider the cost of his own life and suffering the wrath of God a price too high to pay to call us brothers and sisters. And we need a heart like the Holy Spirit who generously produces fruit in the spirit, of the Spirit in our hearts, who gives us love and goodness and kindness and makes us cheerful, sacrificial givers. And so we need to pray for the generous Spirit. So taken together, and I finish with this, when we see the law of giving, the heart of giving, the sacrifice of giving, when we examine our motives, our attitudes and so on, when we trust that God will provide and when we pray for a generous heart, when we do all these things, I think you and I can agree that our current financial situation isn't really a problem, it's just a distraction. We are going to solve it because God will move our hearts when we pray. So let's pray that God will make us the generous people he calls us to be. Let's pray. Lord, we pray for your Holy Spirit to uh, loosen the chains of our hearts um, so that we can live generously with our time, with our talents, with our money. Lord, you know the situation that our church is in. And we know that it is uh, a distraction, a temptation to lose focus. And we know that you will uh, provide for us. We have true faith that you will. But we know that also the means you will most likely use is us. And so we pray that you will help us to consider our motives, consider the joy of giving, consider investing in the treasure of the kingdom. Help our hearts to follow our treasure as we invested in the work you've given us to do. So we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.